Read and hear more about important news, events, and public policy debates at ncnewsline.com. This is News and Views. Welcome to News and Views. I'm your host, Rob Schofield. Well, January 22nd marked the 51st anniversary of the landmark Roe v. Wade ruling, and for many supporters of human freedom and equality, it was a bittersweet day. For nearly half a century, Roe served as a beacon of hope and progress, a rare historical instance in which a male-dominated society surrendered its unjust hegemony over the lives of women. Of course, all that changed in June of 2022 when a conservative block on the court reversed the ruling and left millions of American women less free than their mothers and grandmothers. Fortunately, and not surprisingly, however, Roe's reversal has spurred an energetic national movement to reestablish reproductive rights in state and federal law. And recently I caught up with one of the champions of this effort in Washington, North Carolina 6th District Congresswoman Kathy Manning. In part one of our chat, we discussed some of the many troubling impacts and new threats to personal freedom we're seeing as the result of Roe's reversal. Well, Congresswoman Kathy Manning, welcome back to News and Views. Good to have you back with us. Thank you so much. This week, as we gather, marks the 51st anniversary, actually, of the Roe versus Wade decision, which at that time struck down state laws restricting abortion rights. And, of course, now we have a very different landscape in the post-Dobbs world. I know reproductive freedom is very near and dear to your heart. What are your thoughts as we mark this milestone anniversary? It's a sad milestone because what we have seen since the court issued a terrible decision, taking away rights that women had had for almost 50 years What we have seen is chaos across the country. We have seen different extreme legislatures passing widely differing abortion bans. And the outcome has been women are being denied the care they need, not just abortion care, but miscarriage care, a particularly horrifying case Out of Texas, Mrs. Cox, who desperately wanted to have another child, discovered that the fetus that she was carrying had a fetal anomaly that was incompatible with life, and that failure to terminate that pregnancy could potentially cause her the ability to have future children. And yet, her right to have the kind of care that she needed, miscarriage care, was denied And she eventually had to travel out of state to get the care that would allow her to save her reproductive rights, not only to, in a heartbreaking situation, but a situation that could have resulted in her inability to have children in the future. We're seeing other cases like this arise. So where it's not just abortion care that people should be entitled to, but it's miscarriage care. We are now seeing a problem arising in states with abortion bans, attracting and retaining doctors. We have seen more than a 10% drop in medical students being willing to take residencies in states that have enacted abortion bans because they don't want to put themselves at risk by practicing in a state where they will be unable to give their patients the care they need and could be subject to uh, criminal actions if somebody decides that care they gave violated the law. And this is going to impact all women. When we don't have doctors who are able to take care of women, it impacts everybody. The other issue we're seeing is that doctors or medical students who are getting their training 
in states where there are abortion bans are not being trained in performing abortions. And when I use the term abortion, many miscarriages are actually considered abortions, that when there is a miscarriage, the job of the doctor is to assist a woman in expelling the fetal tissue that doesn't always expel by itself in a miscarriage. And we have talked to doctors in Texas, for example, who told us that some doctors are actually so afraid of treating, helping women who are experiencing miscarriages that rather than use the normal standard of care and using doing a DNC, they're actually forming what would be a C-section, abdominal surgery to extract the tissue, which not only puts a woman at a much higher risk, it, of course, increases the costs and the recovery time. So these are the kinds of things that are happening with this mishmash of poor legislation that's being enacted in states across the country, which reinforces the fact that politicians make really lousy doctors. These are decisions that need to be made by women and their doctors, not by politicians, many of whom know absolutely nothing about what uh, how a woman's body works and the kinds of care that are necessary. The one other issue I didn't talk about, of course, is contraception. That's an area where I led the way in the last my, my last term in Congress. I introduced the Right to Contraception Act. This was a very straightforward bill that created a federal right for women to use the full range of FDA-approved contraception and the right of medical providers to prescribe the full range of FDA-approved contraception. You would think this would be a simple bill to pass, but it was not. It passed the House with only nine Republicans voting for the bill. Every Republican from North Carolina in the House of Representatives voted against the right of women to use the full range of FDA-approved contraception. Now, we have seen the reason that this bill was necessary is we have seen extreme legislators introducing bills to restrict the kinds of contraception that will be available to women. There is some false science out there that is being spread around some circles that says that IUDs cause abortions. That is not fact-based. Their goal is to prevent women from using IUDs. Their goal is also to prevent the use of what's called Plan B or the morning-after pill, which is emergency contraception. And that also is based on the false narrative that Plan B or morning-after pill causes an abortion. Again, not scientifically based, and IVF, in vitro fertilization, is the next thing that they're going to attack. That's actually something used by people who have trouble having babies to help them have babies. But that would also be something that they would take off the table. The last thing I want to mention is the big controversy over the use of mifepristone. Mifepristone is a medication that is used with misopristol, which the, the two-pill regime is used for medication abortion, it is also used to assist women who've had miscarriages. And there was a case by a, a rogue judge in Texas that decided that the FDA 
strongly approved the use of mifepristone 20 years ago and wants to overturn what the FDA decided, wants to overturn 20 years of safe and effective use of mifepristone. And that case is going up to the Supreme Court. And not only have there been individual petitions to overturn that judge's case, but the pharmaceutical industry has also fought against that because that could open up a wide variety of lawsuits against medications that have been approved by the FDA for whatever crackpot theory somebody has. You could see down the road uh, lawsuits to remove certain vaccines from the market kinds of things that are keeping us and our children safe. So we've seen a wide variety of attacks, all related to the freedom of women to decide whether, when, and with whom to have children. It's a remarkable state of affairs and uh, one that um, obviously impacts poor women even more so. You talk about the woman in Texas who was had to go to another state. At least she had the means to do that. So many women have no chance of getting to a place where they can get safe care. They don't have the wherewithal, the financial resources to fly to another state. They may not have the ability to take time off of work. They may not have child care because most women who get abortions already have other children. So this impacts most heavily women who have limited financial resources and, of course, black and brown women. We're talking with Congresswoman Kathy Manning about the uh, state of reproductive freedom in America today. And while we have these uh, various uh, mishmash of abortion bans at the state level, Republicans in Congress are pushing ahead with new legislation that would further really negatively impact reproductive freedom. I know you've spoken out against the so-called Pregnant Students Rights Act, a rather ironically entitled piece of legislation uh, that was in a House Education Committee. It's uh, really about, as I understand, steering away women from full and complete information about abortion and their choices, right? Yes, it is actually a not-so-well-disguised anti-abortion bill. And what this bill would do is it would require institutions of higher education, colleges and universities, to, to provide information to students and prospective students about why they should have, if they get pregnant when they're in college, why they should carry that pregnancy to term. Uh, By the way, I put in an amendment to say that bill should also provide students with the knowledge that they need about how to avoid pregnancy, information about contraception, what contraception methods are available and where they can obtain contraception. Because the biggest way to avoid abortions is to help people avoid pregnancy in the first place. That amendment was voted no. Only one Republican voted yes to include contraception information. All the other Republicans voted no. There were also amendments offered to provide the students who become pregnant with information about access to affordable child care, access to suitable housing, access to food benefits, and other options for supporting themselves and this baby that the, the colleges would now have to encourage them to take to term. All those amendments were voted down. And I also raised the issue that I have two daughters. And when I sent them to college, if I had learned that some administrator at that college 
had had a conversation with them about how they could carry a pregnancy to term if they got pregnant in college, I would have been furious because that is a conversation that I would have wanted to have with my daughter. I certainly wouldn't want some college administrator to be reading some government directive. To me, that is one of the worst examples of government overreach. Coming up next, part two of my conversation with Congresswoman Kathy Manning. Don't go away. Read and hear more about important news, events, and public policy debates at ncnewsline.com. This is News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views. I'm Rob Schofield. In part one of my recent conversation with North Carolina 6th District Congresswoman Kathy Manning, we discussed several of the most troubling impacts of the U.S. Supreme Court's 2022 reversal of the Roe v. Wade abortion rights decision and the fact that supporters of the court's action are now targeting other basic personal freedoms, including even the right to contraception. In part two, we continued our discussion of the battle over reproductive rights as well as some of the other matters of great concern in today's charged political environment, including the rise of right-wing extremism and threats to democracy. Happily, though, we were also able to discuss some more encouraging news, including some good economic reports and the Biden administration's latest efforts to dramatically increase access to broadband Internet service in rural North Carolina. Another piece of legislation that uh, has another sort of crazy title, Supporting Pregnant and Parenting Women and Families Act, which really, at least among other things, would allow temporary assistance for needy families funds to go to these these so-called crisis pregnancy centers, which are really sort of propaganda mills. Uh, I wonder what your thoughts were about that piece of legislation. You said it exactly right. This is propaganda. We have introduced legislation to support pregnant families. We have the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. We are trying desperately to bring back the child tax credit, which puts money in the hands of parents to help support those children. They are actually trying to cut back a wide variety of benefits, food supplements and uh, housing benefits, child care benefits, the kinds of things that actually help families who struggle to afford their children. Last term, we worked very hard for affordable child care, for universal pre-K. Those are two things that would really help families who are struggling to raise children. What they are doing, they are wasting our time with these uh, culture war bills that don't actually help the people we are supposed to be helping. And and it's making things very frustrating in Congress. This is, uh, of course, an election year. We know you're not running for another term because of uh, gerrymandering that rigged your district to elect only a Republican. But I know you'll want to be active. I know that abortion rights and reproductive freedom will undoubtedly be a big theme in the 2024 election. Do you think the energy that's that we're seeing now, we've got the marches commemorating the, the Roe versus Wade anniversary. Do you have any optimism that that will actually carry over to November and have an impact on the election? I think it will carry over because, unfortunately, we are going to see more cases like Mrs. Cox's case in Texas. We are going to see women suffering from these terrible abortion bans. And sadly, we will see women die. And I hate to think that that is what is going to keep this movement alive, but that is what's going to happen. And we have a man running for governor in our state who has made appalling statements 
about people who need abortion care. And by the way, after he, he had to admit that his own wife had an abortion. So we're, we're seeing it in North Carolina. We're seeing it across the country. I think that issue will be very important in the upcoming election. This is a time where we have one party trying to take rights away from women. We have another party that is trying to support women and children and help families raise their children, support their children, and allow them to become productive members of society. I think these issues will be very important in the upcoming election. I want to ask you about a couple other issues before I let you go. One is there was a report from the U.S. Capitol Police this week that found that threat assessment cases climbed last year. In 2023, their threat assessment section investigated more than 8,000 cases, and this number includes investigations in concerning statements and direct threats. Do you worry about the heated political rhetoric of an election year leading to more threats and indeed serious threats to our democracy? First, I worry about threats to individual members of Congress and their families. Sure. And I have been subject to threats. Many of my colleagues have been subject to threats, as have their family members. And we have seen since the prior president, there has been an increase in meanness. There has been an increase in people unwilling to have civil conversations about difficult issues and we have to find a way that we can model civility. We've seen it in Congress during hearings, Congress screaming awful things at each other. That is unacceptable. We need to be a country where we can disagree on policy issues, but not be disagreeable and, frankly, not be hateful and violent. So first, I'm, I'm worried about the impact on individuals. I'm also worried about threats being made about if certain candidates don't win, violence will be unleashed. The beauty and one of the unique values of the United States is that we have seen the peaceful transfer of power for more than 200 years. And unfortunately, as, as you and I have talked about in the past, I was in the House Gallery when the insurrection began. I was caught in, I was with the last group that was taken out to safety, and I was told to get down, you know, and take cover and take off my member pin and wait and to get us out safely. So don't anybody tell me it was a peaceful tourists just taking a walk through the Capitol. That is not what happened. And we need to remember, five people died as a result of that insurrection. So I am worried about the future, but I would encourage everyone to start modeling peaceful civil conversations with people with whom you disagree, and let's get back to a place where we can have thoughtful discussions where we disagree in a civil way. We've seen an increase in violence in hospitals with medical professionals being hit by patients who are not happy with the treatment they're getting. We see flight attendants being hit and being attacked by people who don't like the treatment they're getting on airplanes. And I've heard from some of our police officers that, yes, there is an increase in road rage. And, of course, we've seen a violence. We've seen an increase in, in gun violence, which is totally unacceptable. We've got to find a way we can get back to more civility. Even when we disagree with people, we can be a country where we disagree in a civil manner. We've got to get back to that. And then I need to mention one other thing because sure. it's a 
that is deeply important to me, and that's a rise in violent anti-Semitism. It's been increasing over the past several years since the Hamas terrorist attack in Israel, where 1,200 people were slaughtered in their homes at, at an outdoor concert, and a level of violence against women, the details of which are too horrific, terrific to mention. But in the wake of that, we've seen a huge increase in anti-Semitism on college campuses, other places across the country. And when you see a rise in anti-Semitism, you see a rise in violence against other minorities. Anti-Semitism is the proverbial canary in the coal mine. It leads to other kinds of violence and discrimination, and it eats at the very foundation of our democracy. So that's another area that I'm deeply concerned about. We're coming to the end of our time with Congresswoman Kathy Manning. You know, all the news isn't bad, though. There's a lot of incredibly important good stuff being done by the federal government. Uh, President Biden's administration has had really so many successes. Our economy's in such better shape. Let's end on a positive note. President Biden was in North Carolina last Thursday. He announced an additional $82 million investment in our state from the American Rescue Plan. Talk about how this vision will further expand access to affordable high-speed Internet for students and North Carolina businesses. Well, thank you for letting us end on a high note because we have greatest economic recovery since the pandemic of any country in the world. And we have something in the range of eight or nine million jobs more than we had prior to the pandemic because of such investment in our country. High-speed internet, we're seeing an investment to make sure that we in North Carolina from the, the coast to the mountains, we have access to high-speed internet, and we also have a program for affordable connectivity to make sure that those who have trouble affording internet also can apply for grants for internet connectivity. We have seen huge progress with our infrastructure, and we've seen with the um, Chips and Science Act, not only an investment with federal dollars, but a dramatic increase in the private sector investment in new companies, new businesses, clean energy jobs, also partially a result of the Inflation Recovery Act. So we're seeing huge job growth across our state. In my district, we've got a lot of big companies that are building that are going to be providing high-paying manufacturing, advanced manufacturing jobs. We're seeing a wide variety of benefits that we've seen uh, student debt reduced for for hundreds of thousands of students who've been struggling with, with student debt. And we did see a drop in child poverty thanks to the child tax credit that we had in place that we're now trying to bring back with this uh, negotiated agreement we're going to reach to keep the government open. So there are so many things that are positive that are going to move this country forward. And the ability to educate our workers, to train workers, whether they choose to go to college or they want to have apprenticeships or go to career technical training programs or go to community college, we're investing heavily in that, which is particularly important for my district. We've brought chips manufacturing back to the United States, where it started, which is important for our manufacturing sector, sector, but also critically important for our national security. So there are so many good things that are happening. We still have to continue to work to bring down inflation, which we are doing, continue to work on clean energy and to make sure we preserve clean air, clean water for our future. But we are moving 
in the right direction under President Biden. And I hope we can continue to move in the right direction. Congresswoman Kathy Manning, uh, all caring and thinking North Carolinians uh, are disappointed that gerrymandering has uh, sort of fouled up your district, but we're so glad you'll be there at least for another year. Let me add one more thing. My my colleague, Congresswoman Deborah Ross, has just is introducing a bill to uh, make gerrymandering, extreme gerrymandering illegal. I am grateful to her. We've signed on to that. And I regret that our state legislature has drawn maps in a way that will prevent the people in my community from electing a representative who shares their values. Thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure. Bye-bye. Coming up next, the president of Durham Tech joins us to discuss an exciting new initiative the school is helping to launch in the Bull City. Stay with us.